On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share an interview with Hernan Montenegro in Los Angeles, California. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone I uh, record an interview with somebody in the bike frame building world, and then I share it with all of you. This week, it's Hearn at MMFG in Los Angeles, and uh, we tell his story, how he figured out how to make really cool carbon fiber bicycle frames, uh, you know, from, from scratch, basically, and the business that he runs today, which includes doing that, making really awesome high-end, you know, made-to-measure carbon fiber bikes, but then also doing repair on all sorts of carbon fiber bikes, which is especially cool. You know, so many of us in the bike world are interested in sustainability and not throwing things away. And, uh, you know, many of the guests on this show, uh, they could do that. And yet they have a business that's focused more on building new stuff. And I understand that, but it's really cool to to have a guest who does so much repair work and to talk about that. And to, for me, it's very educational because I don't know that much about carbon fiber work and uh, it's very repairable. So we, we tell his story and then uh, we talk about the details of his business. I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, I think I always wanted to have my own bike company since I was like a little kid. I'm pretty sure everyone who grew up riding BMX bikes in the 90s got, got uh, inspired by Matt Huffman. Yeah. Huffman Bicycles. Like, and then also like Chris Moller and, and you know, Tosh and P- Terrible One and all these dudes or like these athletes who just had like, you know, they had their bike companies too. Yeah. But I think the most influential one was like Matt Hoffman. Like, and he was doing it in like, you know, 91, right? He had, uh, you know, like I, I watched uh, Head First when I was like six or something. Like really, really, really young, right? Because my friend's older brother had a copy of it and we watched it and it kind of like changed my life. Yeah. You know, and it was like, you know, Matt Hoffman doing all, this, all the crazy tricks, having his own compositions, freaking, you know, uh, pretty sure the movie's on, on YouTube or something. But, you know, he was just holding on to the back of a motorcycle, going into like a 25-foot quarter pipe and like going up like 50 feet in the air. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on a like super sketchy ramp and then like, and getting broke off and all this stuff. And he's saying like, you know, like, the bikes that I got sponsored before, like, almost killed me because of this and that. And, like, he was just kind of, like, designing the bike, which kind of made, like, you know, the, the you kind of moved, like, the BMX from, like, the 80s to the 90s. In the 80s, it was, like, whatever. It was a bunch of money. It was a big trend and all this stuff. And then, like, the 1990s came out. And then, I guess, like, the, the trend died. But, like, the core, the core group of, you know, BMXers was still there. And they were going harder than ever. And the bikes... You know, the old bikes were garbage, and the new bikes, uh, like, they were designing. Yeah. Were, like, were able to take all the speeding, right? And, uh, uh, you know, you watch that movie, and it's so, so cool. Like, this, like, early, early street riding, the first handrails on it, uh, all this crazy stuff, right? And, uh, and I was like, man, this guy's so fucking cool. You know, and, like, just see him as this, like, superhero. That uh, you know, did all the all you know, he kind of like invented all the tricks, 
and then kind of made the future of BMX or yeah. like what bike should be. So he had his bike company and he had his own event. He was like doing the tricks and, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, and I always, I don't know if, I don't know if I wanted to have be a frame builder then or anything, but, uh, I always, I always wanted to be like Matt Hoffman. Yeah. Right. And I think everyone who grew up riding in the nineties, like BMX was like, you know, I, I, you know, Matt Hoffman, Matt Hoffman is like God. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then, then you see other companies, you know, like you obviously see a bunch of other, other people who are, who got inspired by it. Right. Cause then you know, S&M was like around the same era. And then, um, you know, they came in like, you know, like if, if you hear the story of Chris Moller, Chris Moller like started like S and M out in like in like South Orange County out of his garage when he was like sixteen, right? Yeah. And now S and M is probably like the biggest. It's probably one of the biggest like American-made bicycles in the world. Like if you like if people don't think about it, but like S and M bikes, they're gonna produce. I don't know, but they're massive, and they're still making all their bikes in Santa Ana. And, uh, and it's like, the you know, it's bigger than, you know, like a lot of the road bike companies, it's bigger than Ally, bigger than all those that have like, in the, that have like probably a lot of money invested, but like S&M has still has like this like punk rock attitude, like DIY, very, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so you, you grew up white journalists, people doing their stuff and you're like, man, you know, one day I would like to have my own bike company, and uh, it wasn't until until I started working at Predator that, that I could see as a, as a possibility. Yeah, so so Predator Cycling was your first hands-on experience with working on and and building and fabricating bikes and painting some also, or what what happened there? What was that story? Well, I started like interning at Predator Predator Cycling back when they were like. At the beginning, they used to have their bikes made by someone else, and they were aluminum. And uh, and then uh, I kind of came in right when they were like, hey, we're going to start making carbon bikes in-house. We're going to make them ourselves. And at the time, I had no clue what, like, you know, how carbon fire works or what you do with it. And I was, like, super fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I had a lot of free time because uh, I was racing, mostly racing Alicat for a living. Yeah, living the dream. Uh, I had like little jobs, here, little jobs here and there, but uh, I was like, I was pretty much making most of my money through like winning alley cats. And, and you know, this is two thousand nine, right? When the fixed year, fixed year scene was like a peak, and there was actually like a lot of people involved in it, yeah. and uh, there was a little bit of money in it. Not you know, not enough to like make a proper living, but if you were like living on a very, very, very low overhead. Uh, you can, you know, you can make it work. Yeah, this uh, was a uh, Los Angeles area. Yeah. Well, it was this was all in LA. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so started working at Predator. At first, it was just like you know, like cleaning and doing whatever, and then uh, started like not you know working for free pretty much. Just like I'm just I just got time. I'm just gonna hang out help you out with whatever I can and eventually they hired me full time right yeah and it was at the beginning it was mostly like 
organizing and prepping and whatever to like by the time I left it was like you know here's a drawing like let's make this bike and uh but uh, that's kind of where I learned all like the basics of like working with composites and like frame building yeah and, yeah and then um I got a um I worked there for a while, and then uh, through through there, we was able to build up a good enough portfolio that I was hired to work at a that I've managed to get a job at an aerospace company. It was you know kind of got knew a few of the right people, and they were like, "You, we were like in super high, this is in super high demand, really need people like you." And then I went for them to like do the interview, uh, showed like came in a bike that I made, <laughs> and they were like blown away. Yeah. Right, because they were like, you know, most most kids that like go to school and whatever, they kind of have like, you know, they they got the grade or whatever, but they don't have a lot of real life experience. Yeah. Because they kind of know everything in theory, but with me, it was like, yeah, you can do this and you do that. It's like, yeah, I know how to do this. I don't know how to do that, but I can figure it out, you know. And they were like, but mostly like once we saw the bike, they were like, this is super cool. And then probably making the carbon fire bike. It's probably one of the more the harder things we can do with carbon fiber too. Yeah, you know, it has to hold your weight. It has to work. It has to be light, right? Yeah. Yeah, it has to look good. <laughs> it, it looked terrible. It looked terrible, but uh, it worked. <laughs> it was a good bike, and uh, worked there briefly, uh, like very briefly, not even a month or so, and then I uh, I left. Because uh, my friend, my friend Spencer Cannon, who at the time owned Rita Cycles, uh, pretty much told me, well, he was like, I pretty much asked, was going to ask him for a job because I could do like, I could you know, make bikes and stuff like that. I wasn't happy at the aerospace company. Uh, and uh, and a predator, I wasn't, you know, kind of wasn't going to, was really trying to go back there. Uh, just cause like I was, you know, I wasn't making money. I was making money, but I was making like the minimum, right? And, uh, Spencer pretty much told me like, you know, got, you know, if, if he has the skills that I have, I wouldn't be asking for a job. He was just like making everything himself. Right. Yeah. And, uh, at the time they had a big shop that they were not leasing all of it. And, uh, for the first year of MMFG, um, I was working out of like the word uh, HQ, like rent free in LA, which was like amazing. Yeah. Like without Spencer's help, I wouldn't be able to to start. Yeah. And that's kind of how. And then the rest is just you know, working every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? When was that that you moved in there? Uh, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Yes, you've been doing this a yeah. long time. And when you, so you were younger and riding fixed gears and, and all of that racing, uh, at a pretty competitive level and you started working at predator, you learned some about carbon fiber, then you had an aerospace job briefly. You maybe learned a little bit more or maybe, I don't know how, how long you really spent there, but when you got to, uh, this other facility, then you really were able to kind of start doing your own thing. Well, that one's really like I had to make it work. Um, you know, but I'm always, always been super curious, you know, and like always like look reading books or watching videos or reading about it. 
and then putting it to a test, right? Yeah. Um, and so a lot of, you know, there's always like a lot of trial and error and a lot of like, um, you know, just working very hard. Like you were like, gross, like determined to not have to go back to getting a real job. Yeah. Like I got this opportunity to like, to do my own thing. And, uh, and, you know, I, and I run with it. And, uh, so, and like also like the, I guess that's kind of when like I, before, like I'm super competitive, super competitive. And back when I used to race, like all my focus was like, when I would go to a bike race, I was like, I'm here to win. I'm here, I'm here to win no matter what. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the, that mentality once I had my business completely changed and that went to towards my business. And yeah. I was like, I have to make this work. I have to make this work no matter what. Like, and even though it's a terrible idea and all this stuff, all the odds are against me, uh, I'm going to make it work. And then whatever, you know, and I, and I just, you know, and that's when I started researching and got to like, you know, you're like fully invested in it. And uh, so, more, you know, more, until you say, like, I'm, you know, you're almost like learning stuff and trying to stay ahead of the curve, trying to learn. Yeah. To, I'm trying to out specialize, specialize. When I tell my clients that, like you know, trying to constantly innovating, constantly, uh, you know, trying what's new, what's coming, and then uh, there's a lot of you know bullshit out there too. So you also kind of have to go through a lot of that to figure out if this is bullshit, if it's actually like the real thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you gotta kind of try everything and 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 you know. Well, whatever whatever works, it's kind of in your repertoire now, right? It's kind of like a thing that you do. And whatever doesn't work, now you know. It doesn't work and, you know, maybe it needs more revisions, needs to be better. But, uh, uh, you know, was, I'm, we're constantly staying curious and trying to push forward. Yeah. determined to to make it. Yeah, you've developed a lot of the processes in your understanding. Like a lot of my guests on this show, they learned frame building. Maybe they took a frame building class or maybe there was a frame builder in their area that they kind of hung out with and learned from. Or maybe they like I learned a lot of what I knew about metalwork frame building, you know, building metal bikes from reading uh, forums online and following folks on Instagram, you would just kind of see the workflow and you'd see the tools and, uh, people a lot of times would just kind of share their, their process and their ideas and their failures sometimes. And so that was pretty educational for me, but, uh, I don't, I, mean, I never went looking quite as much for information about the carbon fiber frame building process, but I don't think there's nearly as much out there. And, you know, you would need to have that spirit of sort of innovation and just figuring it out on your own in order to succeed, I would think. Yeah. There, there's not actually, and, you know, we were like constantly looking at, like, other things, you know, like, um, I mean, like, in, in, if we're looking for, like, okay, how to make a car on fire bike, actually, now there are some videos online, like, like uh, this is, company called easy composites out of england that they make uh you know it's a it's a carbon fire supplier a composite supplier and they make all these amazing videos and like they're probably the best video on the internet is this video where they make a full suspension mountain bike in carbon fiber and mm -hmm. they show everything everything and i'm like and i've done it in the past like on my own and just kind of figure it out on my own 
and uh, and then they show everything. And it's like, man, like this would have saved me a lot of headaches like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, um, like now, like right now, it's much easier to get into it. But let's say back in when, when I got started getting into it, it was like 2009, and there wasn't like there was very little, very very little. Um, information about how you make a chrome for a bike. Actually, uh, Nick Crumpton, Crumpton Cycles. Yep. He wrote uh, in like the Velocity Forum. He wrote uh, a thing how you make a chrome for a bike, and that was also like one of those moments. Where I was like, oh my god, this is it. And this is how you make a tube to tube frame. Uh, but still, it was like it was super detailed. Everything was there. And I was like, I can't believe it. Like, he was just so generous to, like, show us all this. And, like, and I just, like, I printed it and, like, read it, like, a million times. And I think probably still have a copy somewhere. Yeah. Uh, if I really look hard. But it's like, this is how Carbon Fire Frame is made. And, uh, and for a while, I was kind of, like, following this two-to-two method that I learned from, from Nick that he posted. But uh, now the new bikes are totally different. Totally different. Kind of have, like, our own our own way of making bikes, 3D printed molds, uh, kind of our, our way of doing it. Uh, mostly because, um, uh, I don't know, I guess I got a big stick up my ass that I don't want, I don't want my bikes to look the way that other people's bikes look, right? Yeah. And when you're buying supplies for carbon fiber frames, it's only like three or four supplies. And you can see all these people are pretty much making a version of the same bike. He's like, oh, I know where he can drop out. I know where he can change states. Oh, those are data tubes. Those are like, you know, and we used to have tubes that they used to sell. So, like, if you look at a lot of the older police or like older bikes, they all have like, or like older uh, alchemy frames, they all have like the MV tubes. Uh, and I was like, man, I, I kind of hate that, that like, you know, if I make my own bike, I want it to look like my bike. And for a while, like, my bikes always have like something different that I made from scratch mm-hmm. maybe like a tapered squirt tube top tube or something or like little things here and there so so it wouldn't be like everything came from the same supplier yeah but now it's like uh with our three printed molds and everything it's like we're like all of our bikes are just are unique right yeah so uh tell me more about that process and how you came to you know, to do it the way that you do it today? Like, where? when did you start developing the process that you use today, and what does that process look like? Um, it took probably three years to develop the first one that worked. Wow. We're making, um, I mean, three years, like, you know, like, there was, like, a bunch of little, like, iterations, because also it was, like, three years of, like, um, okay, this is how I should do it. But uh, maybe it was, it was a bunch of other stuff because, like, the company, it started the company with, like, no money, right? And you mm. needed a lot of tools. Yeah. And, um, and the, you know, maybe in 2015, 2016, I was like, okay, either in order to make my friends, because I get also kind of, like, mitering the tools by hand and all this stuff, and carbon fiber is, like, terrible for you. And I was like, man, I got to find a better way to do this, right? And uh, I was like, okay, I should buy a mill because I shouldn't be like dremeling the miters by hand uh, and, and all this stuff. And I was like, man, all, this, all these tools are a lot of money. 
they take a lot of space. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, for the first four years of my business, I had like a part-time job just to like supplement income and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for the first three years, it was like the first three, four years of the, of, of Montenegro manufacturing, it felt like, you know, I don't know. It was like me, just like my side hustle, even though it's like spending like, what, like, you know, 60 hours a week in my shop. Yeah. But, uh, people saw like, oh, current just playing with this carbon fiber. Later on, it's like, oh, like, you know, like right now, it's like Hearns, like, beyond slams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, uh, the 3D printing the 3D printing part was most kind of like a necessity in a way. Because it was like, I didn't have the money to, like, buy all these mills and stuff like that. But I had the money to buy, you know, 3D printer. Yeah. And I was like, okay, do I do this? Do it, make my bikes the same way? Like all these people have been making the bikes for like all these years, or do I like try my own thing, right? And then, uh, and like my cat skills were terrible too, and you know, like I still have to learn how to three print and everything. So there were a few years where I'm just kind of figuring CAD and like three printing, mm-hmm. mostly CAD because three printing is pretty easy once you get it. Uh, but, uh, like, you know, I won't, you know, I didn't know anything about CAD, so it was kind of like figuring, you know, buying books, reading about CAD, and, and now I can pretty much make anything in CAD. Uh, now, like, a lot of, like, surface modeling and stuff like that, because it's kind of something I'm still, you know, getting better at, mm-hmm. but, like, whatever, like, I can make stuff, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so, from, from the moment I decided to buy a 3D printer to the moment... Three printed to like make have like to like make this vision right to the moment I finished the bike was like three years. Wow! To make like a proper proper bike that actually looked like a bike now like a, a you know like not like a, like a DIY project or something like that right? Mm-hmm. Like once the bikes were done, it was like wow, this is cool, right? Yeah. And it was like a real bike, a real working bike. It was light. It was stiff. I'm still riding it to this day, honestly. Like the first prototype. Wow. Uh, and I made a. Yeah, well, they, I'm still kind of like trying to see if I break it. Yeah. Because uh, that's a, you know, I'm like, I kind of, yeah, I made it so like, and it has some flaws and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, like, you know, eventually this will break. And I'm still riding it and it didn't break. I actually, I broke like, I haven't ridden in like two weeks because I broke the rear derailleur. Because uh-huh. it, it wore out. <laughs> Like, like, yeah, it, like, you know, I'm like, the, my my bike had weird shifting and stuff like that. And then, like, you know, I, like, I changed the cables and stuff like that. I had my mechanic go through it. And as he's working on it, it's just, like, the pulley just kind of disintegrate. It's like, oh, there's your problem. Wow. <laughs> uh, but the bike's fine. The bike is, you know, and, and I've traveled with it a bunch, you know. And I'll put it in a curve box and it flies across, halfway across the world. Like, it scratches and stuff like that, whatever. And it comes back, and I just put it together, and and the bike's still working fine, which means it could go lighter now. Yeah. Um, but um, that was the first one that we uh, that I made using three D printed lugs. We're not three D printed lugs. The molds were three D printed. The lugs, everything's carbon fiber on it. Yeah. Yeah. Except for like the bottom rugged threads. Yeah. Do you do like a like a metal shell that gets uh, bonded in? Correct. Uh, yeah. Paragon makes these bottom bracket shells. 
for carbon fiber. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's just kind of glue it in. And also I've been making, I'm, well, I've been adding like a me- mechanical lock to them too, like a, like a pin. So, so they're actually, so they don't come unbonded. One came unbonded and since then I was like, all right, I'm doing it for all of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, 3D printing is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I love it. I love the the way that 3D printing is a lot less constrained than like a machining process or something. So it kind of challenges you to think differently. And like you were talking about CAD modeling stuff. You know, when I started with CAD software, I was thinking very much like a like a very basic sort of like, like if you do any work on manual milling machines or CNC milling machines, like the most basic stuff is to make blocks and cylinders and slightly modify your blocks and cylinders. And then when it comes to doing, you know, these more sophisticated shapes and stuff, it becomes hard to manufacture them. So like for a long time, I never had much of a reason to model anything that sophisticated anyway. It would have been too hard to make it. And then over the years, I'm like trying to find opportunities to challenge myself to learn that. But if you're 3D printing a bike frame, now you're you're less, or if you're 3D printing molds, you're less constrained by the process and you kind of have more incentive to give it a lot of shape, you know, because you could change the physical characteristics of the frame by, you know, adding shape, but then also the aesthetic characteristics. And, uh, you know, so it'd be kind of boring to make one that was just, you know, blocky and cylindrical. <laughs> yeah, my bikes are still kind of blocky and cylindrical because, um, you know, I'm still figuring out cat. Yeah, well, and they look good though. But I think it, like there's uh, there's something to that, you know, uh, giving things some angles and some some shape that you know doesn't need to be totally freeform. But a lot of what you're doing is still a lot more sophisticated than what I've done for a long, long time with you know the tools that i make where a lot of times they have straight parallel faces across from each other to make them easier to grip and that sort of thing you know just aid in the manufacturing process yeah 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 uh so so you're running your business here the last i don't know nearly 10 years and as you kind of ramped it up into a very real thing and figuring out a lot largely on your own how to build bikes the way that you want to build them uh i mean what were some of the hardest parts about figuring that out uh and and refining that process where what is it you make a 3d uh like a positive you 3d print and then you make a mold out of that and then you use your carbon fiber mold like you use the 3d explain the process (laughs) So, uh, okay, I'm going to like spill my secrets, but that's fine. It's hard, <laughs> so you know, good luck. Try. Well, only, only <laughs> share what you need to share here. Uh, well, the, the so we we pretty much you know, and we make the model of the frame in the computer. Yeah. Right. Uh, we make a model of the frame, and then um, and then we cut up the lugs pretty much, and then um. Uh, I guess the easiest way to say it's like you know we we have the, because once we have like the lug in in, in cab we kind of make a block around it and then we subtract the the part right yeah and then we put like holes in the mold and then we just like print the mold uh, that's easy you know so pretty much have like a negative and actually printing the mold straight up uh, 
for some of the more durable parts, of, you know, like right now we're making, well, well the new friends are going to have monocoque chainsaws and seat space. So we're actually, we, we made a, we made a positive to have so the chainsaws and the seat space. And now we're making carbon fiber molds around that. So yeah. we can do multiple, right? Yeah. And also less sanding, less, you know, there's like a lot of stuff. Because once the part comes out of the mold, we got to sand it smooth and all that. Um, and, uh, but it's mostly we make, uh, we make the frame and we make the frame in the in CAD. Um, you know, pretty much cut out the logs, make all the, the, the needed extrusions because the, the, like there's, um, you know, they, they go, the, the, the tubes go inside, inside this little plug, right? Yeah. And they're glued, they're glued together, they're epoxy together. Then we do like a, uh, like a reinforcement layup on everything. Cause, uh, you know, if it's just glued together, we see on a lot of bikes that we repair that like eventually over time, they just kind of like, you know, the glue just kind of stresses out a bit and there's like a little crack. Yeah. And the crack is because uh, there was a seam there that wasn't wrapped over. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, and I don't want to have to, like, warranty bikes for something that I could have fixed it from the beginning. For sure. Um, so, and there's, it makes the part a little stronger. And then if you do, if you were to, like, repaint the whole bike, actually, the whole thing looks like one, one piece rather than, like, a bunch of, like, lugs glued together, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's mostly it. Lugs only, uh, lugs only last like one time. Um, but it's fine. And then we have like a, a place where we, the, we just collect all the, all the lugs, all the, all the, all the three printed parts. And then we send them to this one place. So I can just like, you know, melt them, make them, turn them back into, into filament. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's cool. And you mentioned the repair thing too, which I think is a really big part of your story that, you know, a lot of the work yeah. that MMFG is doing these days is in repair of other carbon fiber frames and that's uh, you know, like you're saying like that informs your judgment and your experience with, you know, as you're designing a new frame and you can do whatever you want you have pretty strong convictions that you don't want to do this or that thing. Cause you've seen how many times that's failed in other bikes because such a big part of your business yeah. is the routine repairing of these other bikes. And, uh, anyway, that's just not an experience that 100%. most of these other frame builders have, you know, the frame builders that I typically interview who build metal bikes, they're usually not doing a whole lot of repairs. And so, you know, and, and also I would say a lot of the frame builders who do repairs, they don't share a whole lot of that to the community um, because maybe they're only repairing their own bike and it's maybe embarrassing or something. So like, I think a lot of people who are building in metal bikes, they don't build bikes with maybe as much, uh, much of an, as informed of a perspective about how bikes break, but you have a pretty strong, you know, background in that. Yeah. You, you see how they break all the time. We, the repair portion is probably what keeps us in business. It has what kept me doing this since the beginning, honestly. Yeah. Um, like the repair, the repair portion of the business is, is a massive part of the business. Um, and up to, you know, from like 2013 to like last year, 
uh, it was mostly just me. I had maybe a couple of people working with me here and there, maybe some interns who would, would just come in and just kind of want to like, you know, they got this engineering degree and they want to get like some real life experience and they just come work with me for a summer and then they go work a Boeing later on. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but um, uh, the, the repair part, uh, you know, I get to see all these bikes inside out every single day. From like the earliest carbon fire bikes to like the 2022 model, you know, and um, and you're gonna see like okay, this is working out, this hasn't worked out. This bike, you know, got hit by a car, and this bike's from 2003, and still like only this broke, you know. And also we have like all NDT systems and stuff like that to check for internal damage and stuff like that. Oh wow. Um. Uh, most mostly for you know for for people's peace of mind. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like they got in an accident, they want to know if their bike is fine or not. And then we can determine if it's, if it's broken, if it's buy a new bike, if it's something that we can fix. Uh, we can fix mostly almost anything. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, is it, it worth it financially? Because a lot of, you know, if you if you run a bike through your, you left the bike on the roof, on the roof rack and drove it through the garage, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, we can fix it, but like, you know, it might, it might be cheaper to buy a new bike, dude. Yeah. And, you know, you can probably find the same bike used in the market, but, like, for some people, it has a deep um, emotional value, and they want to you have, have to fix it, and they'll pay it. And that's fine. And, you know, we offer well-extrained warranties and other repairs. Uh, we've been doing a lot of painting, too, because it's kind of part of the process, too. Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, but like, you know, the, the repair part is kind of like, okay, like, it's also one of those things that like, if I, when I make my bike, like, I would hate to see one of my bikes in a shop like mine with like all the, all the bikes. It's like, oh, what did it break? Oh, you know, it was just at the coffee shop and like dropped it and hit the edge of the chair and now the seats, they cracked. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, but like, you know, the, all, all these bikes, they're made, they're race bikes and they're made. For you know, winning races, for making a top of the mountain first, and all that stuff—they're not really made to be like, you know, dropped, thrown around and stuff like that. So if you're, if you're a, if performance, you know, uh, driven cyclist, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get your best numbers, you're trying to go fast, you're trying to win races, you know, you kind of have to get one of these bikes. Yeah. Most of us, most people, just kind of like. Place, you know, are somewhere in between where like they just want like a cool bike they want to ride around but if I want to go fast and we're like I don't want to get dropped I need something light yeah right uh, or uh, you know their performance like lightweight and performance is, plays a huge factor in like you know if you're going to enjoy this bike also if the bike if the bike's too stiff or like if it's too too flexy you know you can tune all that in carbon fiber and uh, make a bike that's very stiff very light and we're trying to keep these bikes as zero as possible, all right? Yeah. Uh, the <clears throat> the repair portion includes a lot of paint work too, and and uh, and you are able to do that without always fully repainting the frame, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We uh, we do that like every day. It's actually kind of our biggest bottleneck right now. Spending most of my time painting lately and. And work with carbon fiber. Uh, it's extremely labor intensive. Extremely yeah. labor intensive. And uh, but it's 
uh, something we have to offer. You know, at the beginning, I used to I used to lose a lot of a lot of work because people were like, oh, like, but I want like the, you know, the paint to be, you know, I want it to look like nothing ever happened so I can sell it later, <laughs> right? There's plenty. Of, there's definitely a lot of those, you know, and then they don't say anything about it, and people buy a bike. It's like, oh, I bought this bike and such website or whatever, and then they bring it to us like it has been repaired before. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, the you know a lot of people like they, they like they want the bike to look as as as, as good as original and like uh, we will lose at the beginning we used to lose a lot of work in in to the day. I mean, we're not losing work, but like I feel like a lot of the carbon repair shops are mostly like paint people that that know how to do like basic repairs. Yeah, and then or just they know how to slap some carbon fiber on it and then just really good at painting, or covering it with paint. And we're more of uh, we're definitely more like engineering uh, focused, and yeah. you know making this bike as good as original. And then the painting part is like something that we kind of have to do to you know to cover up the, the work we did. Yeah, but yeah. Um, um, but it's something that we have to do because like no matter you know um, we can give you know we. We can give them the security of having of people having a proper, proper repair. That like this bike's not gonna fall apart. This bike's gonna you know, last, like forever. Like this repair is gonna last longer than the rest of the bike. Hmm. Um, we have to make it look. We have to make it look uh, good. And for that, we have to do a lot of painting. What's the a most? What's the most common repair that you see in other than you know somebody roof racked their car or they drove over it or or something? Well, that's rare. That's rare, but like what you see a lot is stays cracking and top yeah. tubes, and that's usually from you know from uh, from crashing. Like if you're in a group ride, uh, you know you're in a group ride or a crit or whatever. It's a pile up in front of you. You go down, you crack your seat stay, right? Or you break you, you break a derailleur hanger. Derailleur hanger breaks. Derailleur swings around. Seat stay. Seat stay and chain stay sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the top tube, uh, uh, especially on a lot of gravel bikes, uh, out here we got like all these amazing gravel roads and like mountain, you know, fire roads up in the mountains. And a lot of these, these people who come from road bikes are getting into cyclocross and, and cyclocrossing to gravel bikes. And they think and take this turn going at 40 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just thinking a cor- cor- uh, turn a little too fast and they don't realize that the gravel bike doesn't have as much grip as a road bike. And then uh, they lose the front wheel, crack the top tube, they go down. Uh, and then chain drops, chain drops happen all the time. Those are the most common ones. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. But we do a lot of, uh, and there's some bikes, like, uh, I'm not going to say the names, but like, um, there's some bikes that just are like poor, like, dropout designs, right? And when the derailleur hanger fails, the dropout will fail too. So we do like a lot of dropout replacements and stuff like that too. Yeah. Do you see much where the forces of the rear disc brake, you know, propagate a crack or something around the disc brake mount? No, no. haven't seen that yet. Okay. That, that was something that, you know, you would see that in metal bikes when back 10, 15 years ago, when people were learning, you know, when they would mount the caliper up on the seat stays and they wouldn't have that band-aid yeah. brace that would go to the chain stays, they would bend the seat stay sometimes and people kind of learned how to deal with that. And, you know, it's just a lot of concentrated force. But part of what you see with like flat mount brakes and stuff is that that 
that interface kind of favors carbon fiber or that's the argument I've heard from a lot of people is that, um, yeah, it works out pretty good to do that design with carbon fiber. It doesn't necessarily always work out as smooth with a metal bike, but you know, when you can engineer it and put the material, that's one of the benefits of carbon fiber, I guess, is that you can, you can a little bit more easily put the material where you want it and sculpt it around and shape it. Whereas with metal bikes, you need to be able to either form the tubes or else you need to like, machine or 3d print metals which is pretty expensive yeah yeah we haven't we haven't seen any even on like somewhere like really light frames like the new you know like a lot of uh you know like um i mean there's some, some bikes that we're fixing out like the new like the especially like those this is the 600 gram frame it's like super super light yeah uh that one's not breaking just from riding. Just, you know, like, people, like, ride the crap out of those frames. And uh, and they're not breaking just because they're so light. What well, well, they break is when, you know, when people crash on them. And they'll break easily. Because they're, I mean, they're so light, man. They're so <laughs> light. There's barely anything material to any material to it. You know? So I feel like if you're, like, in your house and, and your wife kind of just moves your bikes around and just it hits the side of a, a table and top two cracks, yeah, that will do it. Because it's like, it's, they're like a millimeter thin. Yeah. You know? And, um, or seat stays and stuff like that. There's, um, Factor has like the, um, another frame that's also like ridiculously light. And I'm like, I can, like, there's stuff that I'm like, I can, you know, I'm like squeezing the seat stays. So like, dude, I can like crush this with my fingers. <laughs> you know? And like, those are like extreme, extreme versions of carbon fire frames but like these bikes also they're made like this is the lightest bike you can buy you yeah. want the lightest bike this is it you know it will go up the hill faster than you know as fast as you can make it go uh but uh you know don't do anything else you know be careful how you handle it because like a you know it's like a wine glass is very very you know fine and very expensive and handmade and all this stuff and very fragile um, but uh, a lot of a lot of super super light bikes, uh, you know, the the riders have to be, you know, it's either, you either like a, you know, like a next link climber, and you know you're like trying to break records and stuff like you know like your Strava numbers or whatever, or you just went to a bike shop and you're just like, oh my god, this is so light, how much is this, you know, and then money's not an issue for you. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of those who just kind of like, you know, when, when people buy a bike, or they see a bike, you know, as soon as you tell them, you can tell them, oh, this has like, the new SRAM, this and that, this wheels, this whatever, this component, and their information goes in one ear, out the other. Yeah. And then they go pick up the bike, and they're like, oh my god, how much is this one? I want this one. This one's like, weights nothing. Right? It's like, yeah, but that one has like, cover fire chain rings, and this and that, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're riding very hard, it's gonna wear out like that. Um, or like, you know, you have to like in and you know whatever. Um, you know, um, if it if it makes it easier for those companies to sell bike, more power to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what's your business like today? I know you you've grown a lot. I think you were saying in the last two years or something, especially. But uh, what I mean, what is MMFG looking like these days? Uh, well, right now 
right now we uh they went from being just me to now we're five wow uh and i have uh i hired uh don who's like uh uh he's like uh you know uh don he kind of came in he kind of made me like grow everything because i was just kind of losing my mind because then uh early like during the pandemic i got so busy so so busy and I was, like, extremely stressed out working every single day for, like, 12, 14 hours, every single day, getting bikes out and all this stuff. And um, and I was doing really well. I was having um, had a lot of money. I mean, I was making uh, I was making good money for being in the bike industry, for being a free builder, especially. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. but I was, like, extremely happy and, 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 and like, stressed out. And, uh, and I was rejecting a lot of work. Because I was like, dude, I can't, I can't take any more work. Yeah. And then Don, uh, he came in, and he has like a fancy MBA from this school in Spain that he won't shut the fuck up about. And <laughs> you know, he comes from like the luxury, luxury stuff, and he used to manage Lamborghini in New York, and like he comes from like the the very high end luxury market. Yeah, and he can see how like like cycling is turning into that, into like. Yeah, into into you know, cause like I, I'm, he's right. Like I'm making this like really expensive, really nice carbon fiber bike, and a proper build of these bikes. If you want to put like you know all the THM cranks and uh, yeah MSCFK saddle and barn stem and like the the carbon fiber this and that and the lightweight wheels and these super light tires and stuff like that. Like the price easily goes to like you know eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and that's like okay, that's like a lot of money for a yep. bicycle and uh and he's like okay this is like definitely a luxury stuff he comes from like the, the sports cars yeah world right and he can see a lot of parallel and how like the bicycle industry is kind of figuring that out and in the car industry already know has been doing it since the beginning and uh by now with like you know you know, companies like, like Rafa, they have like a, like in, here in Santa Monica, they have like a really nice store, right? And like, it, and cycling became more, much more acceptive for, with everyone. It's just, it's not just a bunch of like nerdy dudes, you know, and they're like riding this like skinny tires around, right? It's yeah. just like, now it's like a real sport just as much as like rock climbing or you know, yoga or whatever, right? Yeah. It's like a real thing. It's like, and it's and it's become like uh, it's also become like a way of people showing how much money they got and like a like a status symbol, right? And it's kind of it's a lot. It has a lot more similarities to golf and tennis right now than it does to like <laughs> I don't know, like basketball, right? Yeah. Or skateboarding, and uh, so it's it's more like you know it's it's, it's a way for people to show to show how successful they are too. You know, it shows you know like oh I have I have the time. Especially in LA, where it's so expensive, right? And everyone's working all the time, and so yeah. people, you know, don't feel like they're never work. And there's all these people, you know, these people who are like, "Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm, I spent all Tuesday riding up in these beautiful mountains on my fifteen thousand dollar bike, wearing like a thousand dollars of cycling clothes." Yeah. Right. And it's easily the shows like, "Oh, this guy, this, this guy figured it out. This guy's successful, you know." Yeah. He's got the time. He's got the money, and he's in the right city to do the right thing. Right, and um, so like the in the last in the last maybe ten years, cycling like, became a lot of that. Where it's like 
uh, well, which is great. It's, it's, it's kind of why the frame building has been booming too in the last like fifteen, ten, you know. Yeah. Uh, and because like you know, it's you, know, you could you, people don't want the bike that you can just buy at the bike shop. It's like yeah. you know, I want I want something personally, custom tailored for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and people also, you know, other people still do want the bikes at the bike shop too. So it's, I think, I think the cycling industry, yeah. speci- especially since COVID, has really been on the ups, which is awesome. And and it's also like it's, it's, it's that COVID kind of brought a bunch of people who probably wouldn't think about you know about uh, who probably wouldn't pick up a bike, right? And now they're like, oh, I can't go to the gym, I can't do anything else. Like all I can do is like ride this bike, and you never meet someone. Who who bought a bike and regretted purchasing the bike? Yeah. Even if it's like a five hundred dollar bike, people who like, you know, people, let's say, you know, this is how it starts. This is definitely how it starts. People will go to, you know, they're like, all right, you know, I I the doctor said I gotta lose weight. You know, I am. Or actually, a lot of my clients are like, you know, 50, guys in their fifties, right? And they're like, and they start cycling right now, like fifty five years old. Started cycling, or like in the forties, or late forties, or whatever, right? And yeah. they were like, you know, like I went to the doctor. I, I'm like, I'm I like, I got, I got diabetes. I got this and that. You know, I have to lose weight, and like my knees are too worn out to play soccer or basketball anymore. All this stuff, you know, cycling or swimming is the only thing I can do. I want to try cycling, right? And yeah. they're like, in the beginning, they're like, dude, like a thousand dollars for a bicycle is a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> and then, uh, and then they go buy the bike. And then they try it, and they're like, oh, like, I just rode 20 miles, and I feel great about it. I didn't die or anything, right? And then all these trips that, like, before would take a car, they're like, oh, I can actually ride my bike there. And here in L.A., it's like the mountains in the background, right? It's like, wow, like, one day I would like to ride there. And then the next year, like, they make it to the top of the mountain, and they come down, right? And they mm-hmm. can't believe it, right? And now, now they build a habit of cycling and riding bikes and like and they enjoy it and then they can justify spending I was like all right now when I want to go faster when I want to do this so they can justify spending four hundred dollars in a pair of shoes the five hundred dollar kit the three hundred dollar helmet yeah. they can justify spending you know it's like oh I want my bike to go faster it's like well if you want to you know the bike costs a thousand dollars but if you want like if you want to go faster you gotta buy these wheels how much are the wheels the wheels are another thousand dollars oh my god you know and they're like but slowly the more they do it they can justify spending you know, the same people who maybe three to five years ago wouldn't spend a thousand dollars on a bike. Now they can totally just justify spending ten thousand dollars on a bike. Yeah, I think um, uh, cy- cycling seems <clears throat> expensive sometimes to people who only ever thought of bikes as like a kid's toy that you would you know buy at a department store or something for a hundred bucks. And yeah. uh, certainly, you can get sticker shock when you look at how expensive bikes can get. And it's not accessible for everybody. But I would also say that a lot of recreational activities are pretty expensive, you know. So, like, compared to a lot of other things, like, if you can ride your bike in your area. Like, I know, like, going to, like, like let's say you did, uh, like, Ironman triathlons. I know I worked in a bike shop. And we would see people come travel to our city to do, like, those. And, like, man, those events are so expensive. You got to have all the gear, but you have to travel. And you have to buy registration and, like... And you traveled around some when you were racing the fixed gear races. That was kind of different because you were maybe more of doing it as like a bike punk. But like, anyway, I guess. I wasn't getting paid to do it. Yeah. Well, I wasn't getting paid, but like, I was like, the plane tickets were free and I was sitting on my friend's couch. Yeah. And, uh, and it was different then, but like, I, I, you know, I've been riding BM bikes since I was like a little kid. 
age, I was kind of trying to pursue like a uh, like a professional career in BMX. And then uh, after a couple of injuries, I kind of, that dream kind of died. And then I kind of like stumbled into fixed gear riding. And then fixed gear, you know, back in 2006, 2007, fixed gears were not like a thing. Like as big as they were like in 2009. After the MASH movie, like the whole thing changed. Yeah. And after 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 the match, the match movie came out. Uh, it became like the cool thing to do, right? And uh, and then they were like, and then also like sponsors and like companies started noticing too that this could be the next skateboarding. And yeah. uh, and at the time, you know, it was like a very underground scene. And uh, and you know, I've, a lot of people were like, a lot of these guys were like messengers and stuff like that. And I've already been riding bikes my whole life, and like and, like. Uh, a lot of like the alley cat stuff was kind of like bike racing mixed with like BMX street riding in a way because there were like you know a lot of obstacles were, like oh yeah I can totally like jump this five stair on my fixed gear bike just to like get to the next checkpoint as fast as I can I can bunny hop over things and that and so like, kind of like a uh, you know a mix of like Crash Bandicoot and like <laughs> GTA Five you know <laughs> and that, and that's how kind of alley cat racing was you know just kind of jumping over obstacles goes and like getting to the next place as fast as I can, running all those red lights and all, you know, all this crazy stuff. And then I would do it, and then you know, and then and then you do well. And then a company's like, oh, this is Guy Hearn who's been killing it. This like fixed gear stuff, fixed gear racing shit. And then eventually they get picked up, and I uh, I race for Mash briefly too. Um, and then uh, uh, I race for Mash, I race for Brooklyn Machine Works. They bikes, uh, and then you know, for like a couple of years, it was like the coolest thing. And I was kind of like, I felt like I was at the top of the the sport, you know. And that's kind of once I felt like I made it to the top of the sport, and I, I felt like it was gonna the sport was. I got to the to where it was gonna be as as at its absolute peak, and I didn't see anything beyond that. And I was kind of was like, I should probably figure out what to do with the rest of my life. And that's kind of when I started focusing in like brain yeah. building. Yeah. Um. But uh, man, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That for sounds like the dream. Uh, absolutely, sounds like the dream <laughs> to just be riding around and dirtbagging it and winning races and uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I have sponsors who are like, all right, dude, like you know, like what race do you want to do the next? I want to do Monster Track in New York, and for me, like doing Monster Track was like doing uh, freaking. It's like going to Belgium and racing. Belgium, right? Yeah. It was like I want to, like I want to do it where, like, where it's really hard, and like I never won anything. I think the best I've ever done was like sixth place in a one, one bike race. But even then, sixth place for me was like, dude, was, these are like the gnarliest dudes in the world. But yeah. uh, I don't think they were like super fast. But I just knew how to ride in the city. It's also like a like an era. This is like just before like iPhones became popular, right? Yeah. So it's not like you should. You're in a new city. You're in the, on this, you know a new place. And it's not like you can just pull up your phone. It's like, oh, let's go to this place, you know? Like, maybe they knew I- the first iPhone was around, but, like, the technology was garbage. And Blackberries were around, too, but, like, you know, it's not like you just, like, stop and, like, look it up real quick and then go, right? Mm-hmm. It was more like, all right, I kind of have to visualize this whole city in my head. I have to, like, you know, kind of, like, there was, like, a big game of chess in my head, right? And, like, like and kind of strategizing everything, kind of thinking, all right, it's like, and then just kind of before you go to a bike race, especially in a city that you've never been to, you're like, all right, it's just kind of eyeing out everyone. It's like, all right, who looks fast here? Who looks like, who's like, you know, who's got the biggest dick here, right? It's like, oh, that guy. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to follow that guy, right? 
and uh and it's just kind of like you stick with those people and then you know and 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 hopefully you pick the right person and you know you and then you know the you, know, you can kind of tell who like when you show up to one of these events who's gonna win it or who's like a, a contender right and then um uh yeah i mean you know awesome memories man yeah good memories those are a few fun years so uh you said that when you were a teenager you rode bmx a whole lot uh when are you going to release the full carbon fiber bmx bike with <laughs> carbon fiber pegs <laughs> no no it's never coming out <laughs> I, I, ha- I wonder uh, if anybody's well, ever made about, well honestly thought about making in the past because i always want to be like all right who's like i want to have like the best at something right and i think uh flatland would actually benefit from um from a like like a carbon fiber bmx bike yeah uh so like uh i think because we can make it like insanely light step where it has to be you know stuff but like i i don't do i don't do flatland for like street and stuff like that like street will get destroyed yeah because you know you're constantly like <laughs> the bike you know the bikes are con- like these are like normal like i don't know like i've never seen a carbon fire bike breaking half but i've definitely seen plenty of bmx bikes like breaking in half yeah and these are like the gnarliest bikes like overbuilt and all this stuff and like i've seen like you know like head tubes like snap off and like forks like get destroyed and all this stuff and uh and i'm like dude like carbon fire bike wouldn't wouldn't be able to hold that yeah uh but also in my head i'm thinking you know there's all these like bigger stuff like where they're doing uh you know it's like i'm like i don't know i see all these guys doing like all the mega ram stuff and if you can run, run smooth, you can probably you can do it. Well, actually, there's always a, they have like a a big jump and they have like a resi landing, which I think is pretty lame. But they're going they're going apeshit, they're going crazy on it. And like I'm like, if I made a car on fire bike for that, it can handle a landing, and then the bike will handle like a freaking scooter. Yeah. Like you can do all you can do like a like I don't know like six people I don't know what a six tail whips and freaking. You know, 1080, tuck no handler to like, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And um, and then it can be like absolutely ridiculous. Um, but uh, but no, I also think we kind of kill the sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and, it's, and all this, all this, all this stuff is already kind of killing. Like for me, for BMX, you know, there's always. I mean, I'm like, it's cool. Like, all these people are like, go doing all these ridiculous tricks. But like, there's this one guy on, I follow him, but I see his photos every now and then. He's got like, these jumps in Texas. And he's flying, 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 flying. And all he's wearing is like some cut off jeans, like like uh, a t shirt and like this helmet. And like some vans with no socks. And just like, like going so high and doing like a turn down or like a tabletop, like way out there. And I think it's like with a, way cooler than like, you know, like a triple backflip, that way or whatever. Yeah. Like, just like, because I can, I can relate to like, you know, going so fast and it just, you know, it, it just looks fun. It just looks fun. I wouldn't do it right now. Definitely wouldn't do it. Uh, but, uh, but I'm like, I'm jealous of that. I'm like, dude, that looks, that's awesome. And I would have like, you know, if someone made like a big print of it you know, like a three feet by two feet and, you know, you can buy it. I'll buy it and put it on my wall. Like, there. 
you know, uh, um, a prince like, you know, someone doing a tabletop on these massive Texas jumps. Um, but, uh, uh, I don't think Carbon Fire, I mean, for racing, it makes sense. I mean, there are all the new Carbon Fire race bikes. All the BMX race bikes are all Carbon Fire. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, I mean, and it, that's where it makes sense. That's totally where it makes sense. Though, and I don't know. I, I remember watching the Olympics in, uh, the ones before this, the, the past ones, the ones in Rio and the finals, they had this big, big, like 40 foot jump and they had a massive headwind and they were like going, you know, going super fast. And they're right before, like they hit the big jump, they will hit the brakes. But every now and then there'll be someone who just hooked it and tried to make it. And you just see a bike guy just jumping over the thing and breaking the bike in half on the other side of the landing. It's like, dude, what you expect? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, it's like, it's, it's a hard enough jump, dude. Like, they hit it with, like, you know, with a tailwind. Imagine with a headwind, like an early headwind. Um, and, um, if, you know, if you, if you can find it on YouTube, you can, you can see, like, you know, people breaking the bikes in half. But like that's kind of that's kind of like we're same thing of like all these like super lightweight road bikes, you know. It's when when performance absolutely matters and you're racing this race to win, like this super super light bike that's like you know stiff in all the right places and as light as it can be. That's where it makes sense uh, for a consumer. For like you know, I'm 35 now. Uh, I'm 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 in shape, but I'm not like uh, I'm not like when I used to race. I was like 130 pounds. So I'm 165. I'm very slow right now <laughs> comparing back then uh i'm still i mean i'm i i still try to rival the fast guys and i'm getting my ass handed to me um which is embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> well, well it's amazing because before like i remember i remember being super fit and super fast exactly i remember going i remember going to bike races and excuse my language but this is how like i, I explained it I was like all right i'm like when i used to go to a bike race i was like i'm here to win I'm here to win no matter what. Like, my dick is super hard and I'm fucking everyone today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, that was my mentality going on a bike race. And then when, when I kind of stopped racing, I was like, you know, I would just line up. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have all this work I got to do. Like, this bike has to go out by Tuesday. This has to go out by Thursday. Yeah. And then start thinking about all this stuff. I was like, dude, like, I'm just here, right, you know, just right for fun and whatever. And when you're doing, like, a crit, for example... When you're racing, when they're to, to win, you're really racing against like you know five to ten guys. Now when you're there to race for fun, now you're like thirtieth wheel or twentieth wheel or whatever, going at a turn at thirty miles an hour, and you see a guy two, two, three rows in front of you, just kind of they go like, oh shit, and crash, and now we're all going down. And that could be you know on the low end, nothing happens. Maybe your kick gets messed up, but it could be like you break your collarbone. Yep. And if I break my collarbone. I can get any work done. Yep. And then all that's going through my head right before a bike race. And yeah. I'm like, uh, no, I shouldn't race. And, and then that's kind of where I kind of quit racing. Um, and uh, so my mentality wasn't there. Anymore. I was just, you know, I would, I would go to a bike race and was just thinking about work or how can I, you know, uh, I, I don't know. With the, with MMFT, we're always striving to be like the best, right? Yeah. And we're there, we're there in some parts where, like, you know, we're the best in some things where there's a lot of stuff that we're constantly working on. But we're constantly improving, constantly trying to to be better, constantly trying to 
to grow and like uh, you know just kind of we really just want to be the best you know and uh, and uh, in order to do that I gotta be like you know sharp, super sharp focus in the business and making sure all the efficiencies are there and how to how can I make this better how can you know all this stuff right yeah. all the stuff that comes with making having a business and right now with having having done doing like most of most of the business administration stuff and then have a mechanic now i have a painter i have like assistant an assistant painter we're taking a class next week actually we're gonna go learn how to how to paint with all these like gnarly like motorcycle painters oh that's awesome um yeah that should be fun i'm really looking forward to that uh but um we're taking so taking this class with these people um so we you know in order to be at best, we have to be, you know, good at everything. Yeah. Right? And uh, it's not because, oh, we're good at this, but not so much as that. You know, it's like we're constantly, whatever we're not so good at, we're constantly trying to improve. Um, yeah. You yeah. had you had mentioned when I was talking to you uh, last time about how, you know, through COVID, the repairs have really picked up a lot because there's been such a boom in bikes. And then there's also been sort of a supply shortage of like manufacturing of frames and of bike parts. And so your ability yeah. to like fix bikes for people has become even more helpful to them. And you've been really busy as a result of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's kind of when I started bringing everyone in. Because uh, I was kind of losing my mind, and I had like bike orders, right? And uh, but uh, it was one of those things, or like you know, like a lot of people had, um, well, those who couldn't, you know, let's say for a lot of people, once they break their bike, that's like they're trying to buy a new bike, right? Unless yeah. they just bought it, but they they had it for like four or five years, and they broke it. It's like oh, I'll just buy me a new bike, right? Or that's kind of like if we weren't too into that's kind of when they have the bike, and it's just kind of like you know, life happens and they just kind of forget about cycling. Uh, for a lot of people, there was a lot of people who just got too busy with life. And now they have all this free time, right? And uh, they're like, oh, I haven't been riding my bike because, I, you know, I have the seats they broke and then uh, I'm not, not going to get a bike fixed because now I have time to ride my bike. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of those and there's also a lot of people who just got into, started getting into bikes. There's a lot of people who just like will buy anything as long as they can get a bike. Because there wasn't anything available. So it was like, all right, the only thing we have is this old trick with a busted top tube. I was like, oh, take it. <laughs> and then they'll call me and they're like, all right, can you fix this and that? And uh, the biggest, the biggest, uh, first, most frustrating part right now is finding parts. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, we're all dealing with that right now, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, so some people would just buy like a used bike. I mean, I've seen like, you know, I specialized in S4 XSL6 that before COVID, it wouldn't, you know, correct, it was worth, what, $300, $500, maybe. Correct. Now this bike with a cracked seat, so they're going for like $2,000 for wow. the frame set only. Wow. Right? And I'm like, whoa, it's a ridiculous time. And uh, <laughs> and then also, like, or like, you know, there's people who just, if you just have the money, like, even if you had the money, like, there wasn't anything available. And, uh, so the bit like their their only option to keep riding it was uh, you know getting the bike fixed. Yeah. And, uh, and so there was a big search when they with the repair work. Uh, and uh, yeah, 
like for and then you know uh during covid i just 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 worked every single day so much um but the good thing about that is that you know i've been able to like pay all my debt and have like a nice savings cushion and thinking about like maybe one day buying a house though buying a house in l.a is like so so ridiculous man yeah that it feels kind of discouraging um but uh man i love it here so you know and then now we have dawn and all these people like before like no one really believed that like i guess i feel like for, for the longest most people were like all right Hearn's still kind of doing this you know Hearn's still doing it like the the company is still working out and and now that how is people working with me like and they have like people who really believe in the company that's like a real future in it yeah um now we're like you know uh, I mean, I always have these visions, right? But I don't like. I'm not like a. I'm not a business person, and like I don't. I don't know. I like. I kind of. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. You know. I don't know how to grow a business, right? And yeah. I feel like I, the business grew as much as I could on on my own. Till that point, and then um. And then once I brought in all the people that are working with me now, which I'm super grateful, as you have like the best employees. Yeah, uh, and we're all stoked to come into work, and everyone's like, you know, we're all working, we're all get along, and it's cool, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm maybe not making as much money as I was during the peak of COVID, but uh, but it's good because I'm definitely happier. Like I was making all this money and uh, getting all this workout, but I was like extremely depressed and losing my mind. Yeah, no, just and uh, I wasn't able to hard. ride and just constantly working, constantly working, and then like. You know, and then uh, you're missing all these deadlines because you're overwhelmed and all this stuff. And uh, and now our backlog is still kind of like a longer than I want it to be. We're, we're getting shorter, the whole business is getting more efficient and also kind of learning how to be a, more like a, a business owner rather than just like a, someone who just works their ass off. Yeah. And just kind of learning sure. how to delegate. Learning how to, I don't know. I'm still kind of like I, it's still pretty new to me, you know, because it's still kind of will micromanage people and all this stuff, right? And like I, I'm slowly like, okay, no, he's got it, you know, figuring it out, right? And then I'll go with my my intern, the painter, and it's like, hey, and he's just kind of we're just kind of like do paint jobs together and like do like paint, right? And prep and all that, and then uh, and then Don takes care of all the you know, QuickBooks and payroll and taxes and uh, emails. It's amazing. Like it's amazing to like, you know, all the all the administrative part of the business. Uh, I'm not touching it anymore. Yeah. Uh, which is massive. Which is which is so much. Which to me was like the the really stressful part of the business, right? Yeah, I think it's important uh, to focus on those things that sort of like, you know, gas you up, the things that you are not going to be as exhausted from doing them so that you can focus your yeah. attention on them and the things where you have the most value to provide. And, you know, like if you are going to work with other people, then, you know, offload those things that are the most draining to you so that, you know, your contribution can have the most impact. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh so yeah, we're doing, we're growing. We have the, we have like the the repair part of the business is a big part of it. But we also have a bike shop now. We because uh, this new this new shop I moved into has like a storefront, 
Yeah. And uh, people would just come in anyway because they're like, oh, there's a bike shop there. And they were like, hey, can you like, can I buy a tube? And I was like, oh, I don't have anything. We're like, we're not a bike shop. It's like, but it's obviously a bike shop. <laughs> you know? And now, yeah. now, you know, I have like, you know, I have the QEP accounts and the JBIs and like all this stuff. And like, all right, like, I'll just, I should just order, you know, all this stuff and have it for the bike shop. And, uh, uh, if the shop relies on the bike shop only, like, I'll be out of business. But it's like a nice little compliment part. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't add too much. You know, we didn't have to invest too much just to open like another part of the business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there's that. Uh, I started a com- bike company called Agaromba, which is uh, uh, this, this frames I import from Taiwan. Uh, you know, dealing with one, you know, I deal with like companies directly all the time, like uh, through through one of my contacts. So I was like, hey, contact this guy in Taiwan. He's got like the frames that we order through him, like such so and so has the same bike, legit bike. And, uh, you know, I was like, all right. And then, uh, so I always had this idea of like offering, um, like starting with, like another bike company that's not, it's not like, you know, super high end, like MMFG, mm-hmm. the more, it's more accessible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause MMFG frames, these are like $6,000 frames. Yeah. And, uh, right now it's like a year wait list for them. And, you know, if you're one up and, and then the whole build up ends up being like a $10,000 bike, $12,000 bike. Because you're not going to put, like, you know, 105 on this bike. You're going to go full, like, DI2 and carbon wheels and, like, all this stuff, right? Yeah. And, uh, but these other bikes are more like uh, like an entry-level, you know, these are the bikes that you can sell for, like, $3,000 complete. And yeah. even though $3,000 is still a lot of money for, like, the carbon fiber market, it's, like, an entry-level, like, it's entry-level, really. Yeah. You know, for, like, the high-end, like, in, they call it entry to high-end, right? Because mm-hmm. then now you have like a proper bike that you can. These are gravel bikes, but like a real carbon fiber gravel bike that you can do gravel races, or you can do like bike touring, bike packing with it, or commuting with it, or like if you just want to throw slicks on it, throw slicks on it. It's an amazing road bike. Um, and uh, one thing that we've been offering, one thing that actually the main reason why why I wanted to start this bike company is um, kind of like change the bike industry from from my from by example by with my my way in a way because um one thing that kind of infuriates me with the, the bike industry is some the ways that they create by selling crash replacements oh, right yeah. uh so for example you buy like you go to the, like a big company you crash your bike and then you deal with uh you deal with uh you know the warranty department and the warranty department is like no we're not going to warranty this because you crashed but We'll give you a crash replacement. Well, the crash replacement is like a discount on a new bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I want you to do is cut the old bike in half, throw that away, send us photos, and then we can tell you the, the replacement. Yeah. Right? Well, it's usually like, you know, that would have been like a $300 repair, but because like a lot of people are not informed in carbon fiber repair, or maybe like the industry is like, oh, no, this is bad. Don't do it because it's terrible for business. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? It's not terrible for the bike. It's just terrible for like all these companies, right? Because it's like another another source of revenue they can create. And uh, and for me, it's like you know these all these companies are like creating all this trash just to like make a little bit of extra money with a quick sale. And uh, what we've been trying to do with Agaromba is um, if you crash this bike, we have we have electric warranty in the bike, and that includes a a, a repair. Yeah. So let's say you you know so if you 
you know, when riding gravel with your bike, when you crash because, you know, you took a turn too fast, cracked your top tube, that's you can awesome. bring it to us and the repairs included. Yeah, that's really it's awesome. Free, right? I mean, not well, only is that, be- that's really good customer service, but also it's just like, it's way more ecologically responsible as a program to... <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. a way better way to and do then, it. Uh, and then, you know, we'll think I was bikes are all these like very like ecological thing very like green thing or whatever but like the business practice of it is still very like let's grow as much money as we can yeah and you know when i started Garomba, i wasn't like i wasn't like oh you know the world definitely does not need another bike company uh-huh. there's definitely too many bike companies but uh i feel like if, if we do this one right it can definitely take off and change cycling forever like, like, make cycling more eco, you know, more you know, eco-friendly and all that stuff, you know. And yeah. we live in an era where, like, you know, like us, like all millennials, like, right? We, you know, I feel like a lot of millennials like to play the victim, like the the, the, the bad hand and all that. And you know, I don't want to get political or whatever. I'm an immigrant, dude. I'm like, I choose to live here, and like, I, I love it here. And. Um, and you know this is like the best place in the world to like make it, but like, but also like, over the responsibility to change the world for the better is ours. Yeah. You know, I can because you know in thirty years and all these boomers that kind of fucked up the world right now are dead, and you know all the people running the world a bunch of like you know a bunch of little Greta Thunbergs like super pissed off. You know they're gonna be like, why didn't you guys do anything when you could? Uh-huh. Right, and what would excuse then, right? Yeah. So it's our responsibility to do the most we can right now just to to say you know to you know I feel I don't know I like I read a lot of uh, like I like you know environmental stuff and it's like it's pretty you know it's 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 a bummer. Yep. Yep. It's a bummer and like you know, when you're running a business and you're like all right I want to do really well and stuff like that but then you also have this part of this yeah. chip in and your head it's like okay I'm gonna like you know by by creating this business I'm uh, you know. By by doing capitalism the way it has been done, I I'm I'm adding to the problem, and it's like all right, like I am part of the problem, uh, like having a business and making doing doing business how the way it has been done is part of the problem, like how to how yeah how am I not so much part of the problem? And right? it's the and, cycling uh, industry, so you know, uh, so many folks exactly. who ride bikes. What are we interested in? Like, I don't know, maybe not like burning as many fossil fuels, maybe like being outside in nature and enjoying what we have. So like for a bike company to have a policy that's like a pretty categorically wasteful policy of just throw it in the trash can, we'll sell you another at a discount. You know, like I I really appreciate your alternative seems like a way, awesome way to build a bike company. Yeah, thanks. And it's something that we we'd offered it with our it's a, it's, a, it's a policy that we offer it with our custom friends, yeah. You know, and I feel like anyone like you know, if someone were to order a bike from you or whoever is like, yo, like I, I like I broke the bike, you know. They're not gonna be like, oh, dude, I can give you a new one and a discount or whatever. It's like, dude, just send it over, we'll fix it for you, you know. So like, oh, this little, you know, whatever, like this little brace on fell off, right? Oh, just send it over, you know, we'll get it fixed up for you. It's no big deal. Well, smaller companies, you know, will, are willing to do that because I guess they're like more human about it. They're not like run by like a bunch of uh, business people, right? Well, they're and, not, like, and you're you're a maker, you know. So like you've been making exactly. this hands on the whole time. You've always known exactly what it would take and how to do it, and it's like within reach. But a lot of people who start a bike company, 
they don't know the first thing about making it. They can't send it back to Taiwan or wherever it was originally manufactured. No. So they would need to find a third party. They would need to manu- uh, manage that whole relationship. They would need to vouch for the quality of whoever did it. They'd be liable if it broke again. And so, you know, like exactly. you're in a unique position where it's just part of what you do. You can just offer it. But like for these other companies, yeah. they're at a huge disadvantage, even if they know that they would prefer to do it that way. And even if they think that that is the right thing to do, they don't even know how. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so with, with COVID, a few, you know, I'm not going to say names, but like a few of these big companies were like, we don't have a replacement, but send it to this guy, he can fix it for you. And a lot of these big companies have been writing checks to me. Yeah, that's awesome. For people. <laughs> you know, and uh, we're, we're like, you know, like we don't have any bikes. You know, we're not, we're not, we're gonna get new bikes. All this stuff, they're kind of screwed. And like, and when these like bikes have like a dumb like warranty problem, they can totally be fixed. You know, uh, then um, then be like, you know, that's and they change the clone, totally change the narrative. Like, oh, this can't be fixed. To like send it to this guy, he'll fix it. And we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and uh, which COVID definitely changed that. But it's, some, it's an idea I had for a long time. And um, uh, I just wish we sold more of those bikes, man. Because, like, it's been, like, I, I, you know, I ordered all these bikes from the from the factory. And we only saw a handful of them. Oh, another thing we offer those bikes is a custom paint job. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's, we just include it with a bike. Uh, well, to a certain to a certain price point, right? Um, but, uh, you know, for a lot of people, a custom, you know, custom bike, it's just like a custom painted bike. It's not like fully custom made, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, so if people can get like a, a custom made, a custom, you know, a custom bike, I guess. And uh, for like, a, you know, a relatively, you know, without without having to get into that. Yeah. And then, uh, anyway, with a proper policy, you feel good about like the the warranty, the message we're trying to create, and uh, yeah, yeah, and the name also, the name I got owned by is like, um, uh, I grew up in Argentina. Yeah. I grew up in Argentina, and in Argentina, uh, there was this TV show, kind of like an SNL, mm-hmm. and uh, there was this uh, this TV character called Fernandito, and Fernandito was this like super positive guy, always happy. You know, struggle going these like business ventures, and they would all fail terribly. All this stuff, like whatever, like he would like get into real estate, right, and buy like this building, whatever. Like, he's so happy about it, and then the whole thing would just collapse, right? It's like, oh well, you know, like things happen, life goes on, right? Or like his wife would cheat on him with his best friend, or like all oh, these ter- terrible, all these episodes that were like terrible, and like and she's always so happy. He's like, why are you so happy for the I was like, oh, you know, like I'll just take the garamba, and then everything's all right, right? <laughs> Uh, which, but, but he didn't quite say it like that. He was, it was more like obscene the way he said it. But like, me as a little kid, I'm like, what the hell, you know? Uh-huh. And then later on in life, I'm like, you know, I'm full blown adult. I'm super stressed out, and the only way that I can like be less stressed out and happier is just like, all right, I just gotta go ride my bike, you know, go ride my bike, and then I'm happy, and then all my problems just kind of go away, and all the noise in my head just quiets down a bit, right? And also like living in a city like LA, where like you can ride all year long, you got like world class riding world-class everything really you know it's like just to be inside of working inside all day long it's kind of crazy so um for me my antidepressant just getting on my bike and going riding yeah pretty much any day right i can just like wow. not you know i'm not gonna call this guy back today i'm not gonna ask him anything else today this is not getting done today i have to go ride my bike today yeah 
I just and then, uh, and then I'm then then you can just go right and you can just like de stress and like you know decompress and whatever. So for me, the the bike is the like the antidepressant, like the the agaromba that Fernando would take. So I just I started the bike company with agaromba. Uh, yeah, I just went to your website and checked uh, checked out the Agaramba page, and it's uh, these look awesome. The paint jobs are beautiful. Thanks. I like the uh, I like the logo. It looks I you know I I think if I need another bike, I should just build one for myself. But on the other hand, this is freaking cool looking. Um, anyway, thank you. <laughs> you got a nice looking site too. Uh, Cool. Well, I want to ask you one last question, and then we got to wrap it up for my personal time constraint. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the last one is: uh, tell me about uh, tell me about the best ride in your uh, local area that you like to go on. Uh, well, oh man, I live, I live in Santa Monica. I live in the west side of LA, uh-huh. like on like the beach. Uh, in my opinion, the best side of the city. Uh, uh, but uh, just out of my house, like I'm like sitting in my car right now, and I can see like the mountains in the background, right? And I was just there this morning, like riding my bike. Oh like, man! Uh, so jealous. And I can literally, I can literally, you know, if I wanted to go on a gravel ride, for example, I can just go from my house to the top, and I'll be at the top of those mountains in maybe like an hour and a half. And then I'm in, like, I am, and once I'm there, I'm not, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm in the middle of nature, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, anything like San, the Santa Monica Mountains are great all year long because you're like on the beach and also you have like this mountain range and all these like world class like roads and amazing cycling. And then uh, so those are like beautiful roads for doing road rides. And then, you know, if you want to do like a hundred mile red day with like 2000 feet of climbing, you know, we have it. Uh, or like, if you want to do a short ride with like whatever, we have it. Uh, you want to do gravel? It's right there, same mountain. You want to yeah. do mountain bike? We have like the best like mountain, like best trails right here. I mean, probably if you go to Colorado and stuff, it's probably something you know. I'm sure, it's great too. And there's all these places like Sedona and everything. But like, I live here, and it's like I'm like, you know, like before before you called, I was just like taking a nap because I was just so dead from like riding this morning. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That's what, that's what Sundays are for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so for me, like the west side is probably the best part. But, uh, you know, on the east side too, you can like, if you're like in Hollywood, like Griffith Park is right there. You can just like also escape, like you're like in the middle of this like massive city with like 10 million people in it. And then you like just in within 20 minutes, you're in the middle of nature again. Uh, and then... I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, even even if you live like somewhere bad, like you know, South LA or something, like Palos Verdes is right there, and you can just be like, you know, you can go from like a nasty, bad neighborhood, which is not so bad and nasty anymore. Like all of LA is up and coming right now, uh-huh. so all the like the crazy crime and all the stuff is kind of going away. It's just it's ridiculously expensive. Yeah, everything's expensive, and uh, in order to live in LA, you have to make a lot of money. Um, And uh, but I don't know, we're you know, I'm making enough to keep stay living, keep living here. The shop keeps growing, so I'm not moving anywhere. I love it here. Yeah. Um, but uh, you should come out, man. You should come out. I'll show you everything. You can bring any bike, and we will have fun on any bike. 
Yeah, that, um, that sounds amazing, and I absolutely want to come. I got to do it. I got to get the heck out of here, man. It's, this winter has been terrible. I've been working too much. I never got to come never out. Never in my life. Yeah, never in my life had to dig out my driveway. Uh, <laughs> it's like you know my car out of the driveway. You know, there's like traffic, but you know it's like it's a lot of people living here. Like and like, within that's another reason why my shop is doing well is because you know like. You know, we're, I'm in L.A. within, like, a 100-mile radius of L.A. It's probably, like, 30 million people living here. Wow. In order to live here in the city, you have to make a lot of money. Or in this in this region, right? And if you're making a lot of money, you probably can, you can buy a, you can afford a nice bike. And all these 30% of bikes are usually carbon fiber. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, no, it's, you know, once, once you find, like, a... Uh, LA is the best, man. I hate, I, like, I, I don't care what other people say, whatever. Like, because uh, I get it. I get it. It's really, if you come from another place where everything's really cheap and everything, you know, or, or affordable, right? Yeah. And then you move to the city where you have to pay, like, three, four thousand dollars for rent, you know? And, like, getting a shop is, like, a ridiculous amount of money and you kind of have to drive everywhere, you know? You can yeah. ride your bike everywhere. I used to ride my bike everywhere, but now with the business, you know, I gotta constantly have to go to the hardware store, have to go to the paint yeah. shop, gotta go drop off, like, a, a box I forgot to give to the UPS guy, you know. Yep. So I kind of need a car to get around just to, like, do my business. But uh, if you're, you know, if you're, like, a barista or something, you don't really need a bike. Um, but it's, you know, uh, you know, if you move, if you move, if you come to L.A., if you live in L.A., you're not here just to, like, you know, you're not here to focus on the apartment or because you have a nice TV or to play video games. You're here because you're going to go to the beach and go surfing this morning, and then you're going to go hiking in the afternoon, and then you're going to go to, like, a, a world-class restaurant later on, and then you go to this, like, super amazing, you know, nightclub where, like, this, like, super famous DJ is coming out and playing, right? Uh-huh. And uh, there's a lot of that. We're like, I don't know, man. LA is anything but mediocre, man. Yeah. So, like, we have, like, a lot of the best, like, the best stuff in the world and lots of the worst stuff in the world. But, um, you know, you kind of learn how to deal with this, like, the city of extremes, you know? Yeah. It'd be, like, a freaking amazing, you know, amazing restaurant with the best food in the world with, like, you know, three Michelin stars and whatever. And across the street, there'll be, like, two, three times of people living in it because they can't afford to live here anymore. Yeah. Or, like, you know. Um, so it's kind of, I don't know. But it's also home to your lovely business and all the cool stuff that you're doing. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love it here. Cool. I, love, well, I mean, it's, it has its loss and whatever, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's the best thing in the world. In yeah. My well, I got to see it uh, when I'm out there and I got to see your shop. I got to run right now. I really appreciate hearing your story and having you on the podcast. And I can't wait to share thank it. Thank you with so everybody. much, man. Yeah, thank you.